the National Basketball Association is a suspect in Dr. Umar's investigation. That's right. The goddamn NBA is a suspect. As soon as I said that, Mama Oya blew my cell phone off the stand. As soon as I named the NBA as a suspect, Mama Oya, and now the winds is coming. Soon when I said the NBA, Orisha Oya blew my phone off the stand. That's not proof that it was the NBA, but that's damn sure some good evidence. That's not proof that it was the NBA. But that's damn sure some good evidence that soon when I mention the NBA, the ancestors blow the cell phone off the stand. I just wanted to point that out. I just wanted to point that out. I just wanted to point that out. Did y'all see what just happened, brothers and sisters? Did you see what just happened? I've been talking to y'all for how long? How long I've been talking to y'all just now? How long have I been talking to y'all just now? And soon when I mention the NBA as the first suspect in Kobe's death, my cell phone get blown off the stand. That's not proof. It's still debatable. But it's a good piece of evidence. Now, wait a minute. We're going to have a block party. Let me do a block. We're having a block party. Quick two-minute block party. Hold on. Let's have a block party. Who bringing the chips? Who else coming right, to the block party? We having the block party. I'm bringing let's lower this Negro right here. Just It ain't even a week yet. A full week. And niggas are already coming in with the with the theories. Beautiful. That's what happens. That's what happens when horrible shit goes down. Theories start popping up. Um Yeah, it is Friday. January 31st, 2020, 2020. It is legit Friday, January 31st. I'm recording this probably just moments after I upload it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a sad, somber week. Of course, uh, the, um, untimely passing of, uh, Kobe Bryant and, uh, his uh his uh, young daughter, thirteen year old daughter Gianna, and seven other people in a helicopter crash in Calabasas. Um, here here's all all I have to say about it because uh I'm you probably know me I've never I haven't been a big sports follower, but um you know from. From what I've been reading, these uh, you know what I've been gathering these past uh, few days, you know, of course Kobe Bryant has a complicated legacy, had had a complicated legacy, and from from what I was assessed, he has been spending most of his adult life, whether being in the NBA or or out of it. Uh, personally and professionally trying to redeem himself. I mean, uh, just like if I, I keep hearing about all the stories of good he's done 
and uh, just uh, all the ways he was trying to make uh, life better for so many around him, including his um, his family. And uh, listen, you know, let's okay, let's let's keep it hundred. There was there was a point in time when he when he when he fucked up royally, and uh, some people. Uh, let's say particularly Evan Rachel Wood, um, not so forgiving of, of what has happened. And, you know, just like, if first off, let's uh, he has, uh, in, in reading up on the uh, the trial that he that he went through early in his career, just like he, he went on to, you know, apologize to the, uh, to the vic- victim, uh, which is, you know, I don't know if you know a lot of, I mean, of course, you know, with the Harvey Weinstein trial going on now, and does that dude still like, yeah, I didn't rape those 100 women. Um, get a, get a, get a apology, you know, from, from the person accused of, um, rape is, is a very rarity is a, is a very rare thing. And, uh, and so just like he, you know, it seems like he's been spent. He spent most of his his later years trying to atone for his sins. In many ways, like you know, you say like the fact that the man went on to have four daughters was him, like you know, some higher force, if you will, God or fate or karma, or whatever, saying, "Okay, dude, you fucked up. Now you'll be spending the rest of your life make protecting uh, four girls and hoping that." making sure they don't you know, have to deal with any type of situation that uh that you went through and it, and it seems like he was he was he really took that on with uh, with raising his uh his daughters uh, and um you know making sure they were on the right path and with them being on the right path so so did he and uh so it is it is it is pure unadulterated tragedy that this happened that had to happen so badly. I mean, a family like literally just like several families have now been as their lives have been um, just utterly just changed because of you know, of, of what has happened. So so you know, yes, you, you, you hate to you know. You you know you, you hate to see stuff like that happen to anyone, and so yeah, it's one of those things that's hard to quite uh, make um, uh, make words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, make words hard to talk about, especially on uh, on on some um, broadcast format. Yeah, it is one of those those weeks where I just like oh really, it's not really much to deal with you know just like everybody's everybody's work every, i'm beginning to sense that a lot of people are worried that 2020 will turn out to be 2016 all over again you know just bad news one minute after the other like people you love just dying all over the place i mean terry jones died a few days before uh kobe bryant so r.i.p to uh, that Monty Python member. 
and, and of course, you know, 2016 ended with one of the greatest tragedies, which is, of course, uh, President Orange Crush, Crush being commander in chief. So, you know, we just hope that doesn't happen again because I, I certainly hope it doesn't happen again. Uh, I mean, just. I'm just trying to piece together what the hell's been going on this past week. I think last night, favorite news just found out last week, last night actually, that uh, Lil Wayne has no idea who these rappers are, which, uh, which is a, which, which truly shows that just like you know just how fast paced the rap industry has became. When it's just like, if Lil Wayne don't know who these motherfuckers are, and he and he said like I'm not hating this guy. I honestly don't know Twenty One Savages. I didn't know he was for a while. I mean, just I just found out a couple of weeks ago about the Griselda crew, you know, your West Side Gun and Conway the Machine. So, you know, rappers are just popping up every which way, and it's just like kind of hard to play some shit. So, um, speaking of rappers, uh, Pastor Troy uh, apparently upset that. Uh, gays uh, go to Applebee's because he complained on uh, was it Instagram? Oh yeah, it's like because of course the Grammys, by the way that happened we're, we're just like the same day Kobe Ryan died, like a bunch of celebrities uh, got awards for stuff. By the way, they just they, Grammys is literally not going to give you know album of the year award to a black person at any given point in time. Even even Billie Eilish when she accepted album of the year, she's like, Are you y'all for real? It's like it's like Ariana Grande is right there. She like every everybody loves Ariana Grande. Give it to me with the give it to this this eighteen year old white girl. That's like I haven't done shit yet except sing, so but um but yeah, okay, Lil Nas X I, he was there, I think he won a couple awards and uh yeah, like he was upset that um, a, a, a gay rapper dressing up in pink was the highlight of the Grammys, and then he went off on the whole um, the whole Applebee's tangent, which is like I was hanging out with my son, I think at Applebee's, and I saw a gay couple kissing and shit like that, and with mozzarella sticks, and just. First of all, um, fuck you doing eating at Applebee's. Pastor Troy was his was was Ruby Tuesday Philip. Make a big deal about. I haven't been to Applebee's in years. I think the last time I was there, like in the the early aughts, and I just North Carolina, just get one of those gigantic ass cocktails they they serve up during happy hour, just. I have not. I have not heard. That's also the same time I heard last heard of Pastor Troy. So I know what the the fuck you've been doing with your time. Apparently, been watching gay motherfuckers eat instead of like I don't know making some music people listen to. Yeah, damn it. I have no idea who Hobo Johnson is, but apparently he's been giving motherfuckers herpes. 
Y'all need to you know, stop Hobo Johnson before he, uh, you know. Uh, well, what the hell? Let me, uh, yeah, let me read this. Musician Hobo Johnson was accused of giving the woman herpes, but now she says it was a miscommunication. On Wednesday, yeah, Johnson became a trending topic on Twitter after a woman who claims to be a friend of the accuser alleged that he removed a condom during sex known as stealthing. Uh, they, they have a name for that. I just I didn't. When the two met at a meet and greet and subsequently gave the friend herpes. In another tweet, she said the friend attempted to go to the authorities years ago and happened, but nothing came of it. I don't know. The fuck. I just, anytime you give crazy shit like that names and just have to. Uh, the original tweet has now been deleted as has, has the account, but the accusation started conversation about sexual assault, cancel culture, and the context of Johnson's lyrics. Still haven't heard a, a, one goddamn song he's done. Um, on Wednesday evening, the accuser under the handle Venus Rose Baby attempted to clarify things in a series of treat, tweets say, stating that Hobo Johnson is not a rapist and that the sex was consensual. She apologized and added that she miscommunicated to a friend because I'm sick and scared and wasn't trying to hurt anyone. Uh, when you when you when you go online and and, and and talk about person, you know, giving you that that herp, feel like that's gonna happen. But uh, whatever I just said this once again, yeah, you know, whoever the fuck Hobo Johnson is, you know, just. Wrap it up or whatever. Fuck, I ain't paying attention. Oh, here's my favorite uh, uh, news story. Let me let me pull this up. Uh, yeah, men are masturbating with banana peels. Mm -hmm. The New York Post recently dredged up an amusing mid uh, 2019 Reddit post in which one young man detailed his near-death experience using the banana peel to rub one out. Uh, mere seconds in, I began to notice the mess I was making, the, wrote the original poster. The banana peel still had rednets stuck to the sides, and my meat stick was liquefying it. Despite the fact that there was now black goop running down my balls and thighs, I was determined to finish because mama didn't raise no quitter. See, this is why I think not only should we legalize prostitution, but there should just be a time during the week, let's say Wednesday afternoon at one, where just everybody fucks. Just everybody fucks. Let's get that out of the way so we can move on and not do stupid shit like jack off with banana peels. Kind of, kind of twisted Philip Roth shit is this. Jack it off with, and just beat off in a soccer t-shirt. Like, no, what, jeez, oh, this movie. Banana peels is, you know, and that's a, that's a sad thing. Like, the fact that shit like that can legitimately happen, that a guy would eat a banana and then look at the peel and think, Wonder if I can fuck that. Okay. 
I mean, remember a few years ago, there was that video of the guy uh, fucking a, a, a McDonald's uh, McChicken sandwich? Shit, stranger things have happened. Stranger things. I saw a video of a of a of a of a dude getting sucked off by a carp. Men will stick their dicks in anything. We, we, it's, 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 it's a sad, sad thing. Sad. It's like this, is what happens when it's just like you can't get any, and just we'll just we'll just look at random objects. I wonder if I can stick my dick in that. I wonder if I can stick my dick in that um, in that hole in the wall that I that was brought on because the doorknob kept slamming into it and just building like you know something you know you know somebody whether you know them personally or just generally just like there's somebody who had fucked holes in the wall. It is. It's, it's, we're, we're, you know, we're a sad bunch, man. We're just, you know, just like it's just, just like this thing, just this thing that will that will just uh, command us, and we will not stop until we just get to, get our rocks off. And now we're just doing it with banana peels. God damn it! Okay, let's let's get into wherever the hell this shit. Yes, let's uh, let me, let me get rid of Umar. And uh, this is the most sad, 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 sad podcast on the interwebs. This is everything is canceled.
So close I can taste it The man on the moon keep playing Practical jokes, planning the mirrors and smoke that I fade away in You be complaining, and I can't explain it, I guess Nothing compared to the feeling of feeling amazing Now I'm switching location Cause heaven too far when you live in the basement I'm looking for balance, I'm in an oasis Well, I need somebody to save me Before I drive myself crazy And all I know If life is but a dream and so Something and I 
right, this is uh, everything is canceled, aka Uncle Crizzle's crunch time. I am, of course, uh, Craig D. Lindsay, aka Uncle Crizzle, aka Black Larry David, aka Anastasia Beaverhausen, aka people do stupid shit sometimes. Just like a whole bunch of other things. But, uh, all right, um, if you want to hit me up on all the medias, um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Byte. I'm on, I'm, I'm on Byte now. So, um, so yeah, that's, uh, you can hit me up at, uh, Uncle Crizzle. If you want to, uh, donate to the podcast, go to, uh, paypal.me slash Uncle Crizzle. And, uh, whatever the hell you listen to this, uh, please, um, like, comment, and subscribe. Think of what you gotta do these days. All right, and um, now let's see if we could. Uh, let me get into what I uh, briefly played. Um, starting at the top with um, no reservations. No, no, that's not it. No, I'm sorry. That's that's be courageous. I'm sorry. I don't even know where it got uh, no reservation from, but be be courageous. Um, it was a track. Um, Kobe. Uh, Brian is a track a decade Kobe Bryant done by uh Houston's own Robert Glasper. And uh that's that's a that's thing we found on SoundCloud. And uh after that, uh that was um I Can See by uh Mac Miller from his new album Circles, his posthumous new album uh Circles. And uh after that, um, it was a, a, a track pertaining to our guest today, um, again, by uh, Alice in Chains from their uh, Alice in Chains album. And they didn't mean to play um, uh, tracks uh, that uh, relate to somebody who passed away so suddenly, but um, just uh, that's why that's what the vibe i was uh, unfortunately going to with uh just wanted to play these tracks i, I wanted to play the last track because i have a guest here um who uh hosts a uh radio show every weekday on espn 97.5 uh it's uh called the uh, usual suspects with uh joel blank and uh barry laminick and uh just happened to have the first guy here so um joe blank welcome to uh everything is canceled thank you sir for having me pleasure to be here yeah because uh i was listening to your show a couple of days ago and y'all were uh talking about uh allison chains being a like only good uh you know white people rock band that would be my partner yes yeah partner uh barry laminick who, yeah. um he's a comedian so yeah, comedian. you know yeah, and it's funny because does anybody point out how much uh, Barry looks like MC Search? Yes, all the time. Yeah, so that's what I was wondering about that because every time I see him. If you get a chance to see his senior picture, you would say it's uncanny. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, well, one of the reasons I have, thank you for coming down because mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, uh, you, we, we actually record, you know, this is a podcast studio in the uh, office, but uh, you record the usual suspects here. How long have you had that? About three years. 
Three years. years. I was 23-plus years with the Rockets and then with the Portland Trailblazers before that and then uh, was lucky enough to come on over here and start middays, and uh, we've had a lot of fun with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, you guys, are, you know, it's one of the many shows that uh, speak about sports and also other things going on in the culture. Yep. And I figured I think it would be a, you know, a good time to actually um, get somebody on the show who uh, – Knows knows a thing or two about sports, considering mm-hmm. the past few weeks. I guess we should start off at the top with a uh, you know, Kobe Bryant's yeah. pass, passing, and uh, just uh, I mean, just what have you observed from your end? I mean, there's so much to kind of digest, take in, and regurgitate because of the fact that yeah, he was a sports hero. Yeah, he was a legend in Los Angeles. But, you know, everybody had their own feelings. I wrote an article for Sports Map, and it was basically therapy for me as well because, you know, in 23 years with the Rockets, he was an arch rival, and you hated him. And, and part of the reasons why you hated him was because of the fact that when he took the floor, he was now the best player on both teams. And and that drove people in Houston nuts. And then on top of that, he could take a bad team and give them a better than 50-50 chance of beating good Rockets teams because he was just that talented. And, and when you look at just his career, you can say that about the Rockets and, and so many other teams, but it didn't. T- it took until he retired for me to look back and go, you know what, there's this whole debate about Michael LeBron, LeBron Michael, who's the greatest of all time. And I said on my show you know, months ago, why isn't Kobe in that discussion? Because when you look at it from a statistical standpoint, when you look at the accomplishments from the championships to the MVPs of the, the finals to uh, you know a regular season MVP and all the numbers, they all add up to saying that guy should be right there in the heart of that discussion. And, and yet the thing that, that really kind of chapped my ass the most about all of it and really made me take a step back was the fact that you had heard all these different things, pros and cons about how he was while he was in his playing career. But when you saw him outside of his playing career and he was kind of turning into the second chapter of his life, he was happy. He was an incredible father. Uh, He was a philanthropist. He was an Oscar winner. Um, He was dedicating himself to basically, in a nutshell, making up for the time lost with his family and the people closest to him while he was hyper-focused on being the best. And the way he had, you know, he started this Mamba Academy, which they were on their way to when the helicopter went down, simply because of the fact that he wanted his daughters and all these kids to have a great place to play, to have a great place to work on the game that he loved so much. But he didn't do it in his backyard. He didn't do it near the house. He did it in an environment closer to where there were more populations of people that could take advantage of it and that he could touch and try and help. And I think that you can say whatever you want of who he was as a player, but it was just so tragic that the guy's really in the prime of his, you know, his 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 career to just. I, I think the the curiosity is where would this have gone? He won an Oscar. He was he had a production company. He wanted to get into into film, TV. Uh, you know, famously, he was talking to somebody and said, "Look, I don't want to be I, I don't want to be Oprah and the Oprah Winfrey Show. I want to be Harpo. I want to have." The studio. I want to, t- you know, get into all that and all the stuff he was doing for kids and and watching his his children grow and his his daughter Gianna, who passed, was supposedly just a phenomenal basketball player. And I know that warmed his heart, but I think that's what touched me the most was the fact that with this accident and the way it happened, and what he was in the process of doing, 
it was it was so utterly tragic and just catastrophic in terms of yeah he touched a lot of people from the Lakers perspective but I think he touched so much more in terms of anybody that's played basketball from the time that he started to the time he finished playing. Uh, I don't know if you've been hearing anything, but um, yeah, just a couple of nights ago, I was up here in the office doing some late work, and uh, yeah, I was heard. I heard you know, somebody in the, like in the sports side who's uh, complaining about how it's just like starting to become too much uh, Kobe coverage because he was like going, he was going literally going around going like you know you know he has he, you know did he change your life did he change your life so like I'm 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 over it man I'm over it. like as you were talking. Uh, about early with the whole you know hatred towards him as a ball player, mm-hmm. you think there's some of that residual uh, uh, anger that you know that uh, that some local sports fans still have around here. I did. I haven't heard that yet. Uh, although it's 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 obviously quite possible. Um, I I don't know if people just can't get over. It's just sports. So if he beat your team, if he, and he did, and he beat the Rockets, and he had a winning record against Houston in his career, and if that still chaps your rear end, then I guess that's on you. Um, I, I think the more importantly, more importantly, what I have said to people is, look, I get the fact that with this tragedy, people want to memorialize him, and they want to change the logo. They want to have you know 24 retired from every team in the league as a number to be worn, as they've done for Jackie Robinson. And I'm like, okay, but pad the brakes, okay? Because Michael Jordan, to me, in my lifetime, is the greatest player to ever pick up a basketball and lace up a pair of sneakers. So the fact that Jordan didn't die tragically doesn't mean that he should be punished. If you're going to retire numbers league-wide, 23's got to be there before 24. And to me, in looking at the, the whole thing, I, I want them to do everything and more to make sure they memorialize him and, and they honor him from the Lakers standpoint, from a league perspective, at the All-Star game, all of that. But I think don't go too far and then start snubbing and, and looking past some of the guys that really saved the game. Because when you talk about a game that was literally on the way down to, to fall out of possibly the top three most popular sports in America, but people were just – they were just disgruntled overall with the NBA for a good period of time. And Larry Bird and Magic Johnson started to save the game. And then Michael picked up the torch and they carried it. And then for a lot of people younger than me, because Michael was our guy, he was our everything. And when Michael passed the torch to Kobe, the millennial generation and the next generation and and all the players in the league today for the most part, that was their Michael. He became, you know, their 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 man on the mountaintop. He became their basketball god, so to speak. And so, you know, what people said, well, should they have played these games when the helicopter went down? And my, my, I was adamant in saying no. And people said, well, Kobe would have wanted them to play. But I think you're not taking into consideration the people that were supposed to actually play the games because whether he touched them directly or indirectly, the majority of this league was absolutely affected by the fact that Kobe passed because he had such deep meaning to all those players. You look at a team like the Rockets, James Harden and Russell Westbrook drew, grew up in, in Southern California in La, around Los Angeles. Kobe was their guy. You know, other guys trained with him in the offseason. Other guys just wanted to be like him, and when they were watching TV and all the national TV games, that's all they saw was Kobe Bryant. That's all they knew. So I think it's one thing to say Kobe wanted him to play, but based on people I talked to at those games, the somber, just devastatingly quiet, 
locker rooms and players and their body language and otherwise led me to believe they shouldn't have played because they were in no position mentally to take the floor and play a game when they were still trying to digest what had just happened. And, um, but, well, you know, this was you talking earlier about just like who you feel should be, um, you know, remembered. And, 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 and it just made me think, like, is that thing that you find with sports fans that a lot of people don't concentrate much on, much like the history of just whatever sport they're 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 into, just like they're more into. It just it, it, you say the thing about same thing about so many things that people are uh, are fans with, like they, they're just not as they don't have a sense of just also taking it to the appreciation yeah. and the appreciation of the people that have been there before them. Yeah, I think that you know I, I was blessed enough to, to to become very good friends with Charles Barkley over the years, and one thing I always admired about Charles was. From the greats of the game that were all-stars to guys that just paved the way by playing as long as they did in, in, before him, he was always quick to thank them. And he knew that the money financially that he was bringing in, the notoriety that he had in order to have a second career even after playing, was all created by guys that paved the way. And I was having a conversation with someone just the other day where I said, I think that appreciation's starting to get lost. I think that for all the people that always had that kind of that Charles mentality of every time you showed up for an all-star weekend and all these legends of the game were around the court, that you took the time to appreciate them and always respect them. And it seems like as you get into this new generation of player, it, they don't have that same kind of appreciation. They don't, they don't, as you were saying, Craig, they don't look back and say from Bill Russell to, you know, to what Chamberlain did or Jerry West, but then Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. Um, and and Magic and Bird and all these guys, but even some of the kind of role players on those teams, it was the team concept that built the league back up along with supporting the superstars. And I think now you get these popular kids that are, are you know, from time they're little on, and, and I've said this, the most tragic thing in sports these days is AAU because the AAU programs have completely corrupted sports to where if you're a talented kid, it used to be you were being recruited to go to college. Now you're being recruited to go to high school. Now you're being recruited to play on AAU teams. And if and part of the AAU recruitment is, what kind of tennis shoes do you wear? How much gear am I going to get? How many how many trips are we going to make? And it's not about the game anymore. It's about, and can you take me with you if I'm a coach? And I think that these kids, I've said time and time again, because there's a, there's a backlash against foreign players, and everybody's like, well, why do the foreign players get drafted so high? And why aren't more American kids considered in, in the same way? And why is it more on potential with drafting a, an American kid versus a, a surefire when you draft a, a foreign kid like a Luka Doncic? Well, it's quite simple, because if you take the life, lifespan of, in basketball of a kid these days, he's recruited from the time he's in grade school. Uh, he then... Uh, has coaches telling him, if you come play for me, I'm going to give you the ball. You're going to be my star. You're going to start. You're going to get all this time. So then the next progression is, and then in AAU, the same thing. You're going to come play for me. We're going to make these many trips. You're going to wear these kind of tennis shoes. You're going to get all this kind of gear. You're going to get all this attention. And then the high schools come in and they say, hey, you play for me, and we're going to build our entire system around you. And it's going to be all about you for four years of high school. And then when you get out of high school, colleges are going to come and say, "Hey, for one year, we're going to drop everything we've been doing and we're going to put we're going to make you the center the vocal the focal point again, trying to get you to the NBA as quick as possible." So what do you get when the kid gets to the NBA? Well, he has no fundamentals. He has no concept of team basketball. He doesn't sit there and he doesn't work on his free throw shooting and the little the little details and idiosyncrasies that have made players great over the years. It's just 
there's no I in team, but there's an M and an E. And it's so centered on that kid and doing everything in his power to just get to that highest level, regardless of the fact that he doesn't have a concept of how to play the game. And that's why the game suffered because all it was was one-on-one basketball. It was Kobe, it was um, Allen Iverson, it was Tracy McGrady, it was not team basketball, it was look at me basketball. And I think that that's where, you know, it's kind of fallen to the wayside and that's where kids kind of have gotten corrupt from really the true spirit of the game and appreciating the legends and and realizing that the game is the has been the game for for obviously hundreds of years, over 100 years now, but the, the, the players that made it great are the reasons why they have the opportunities they have today, and I don't. I think kids have lost that. Well, it kind of, kind of makes me well, wonder, just I talking about uh, this, all, this, all this other shit plays into it, and just how, and, and it just goes back to Kobe, because, you know, there's, if there's a fine example of, a, of, a, of an athlete that got in the whole thing really young and, uh, you know, had a lot uh, riding on him and he went through something uh, that, that, you know, almost, uh, you know, affected his entire career. Uh, and, and, and it seems like has spent most of his life professionally and personally after that um, kind of, redeeming himself from that uh situation uh just because if you, you find that just like when you're that young it just like you are that entitled you're, you're more entitled to to shall we say fuck up like that when you're uh, you know a young a young player just getting in and just having all these things just 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 show up and you don't know whether to you know don't know what to do because you're just this 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 young person in there. Yeah, I, I think that he was he he obviously was one of those guys. But in terms of and look, I'm not going to speak on what I don't know about in terms of what happened in Colorado. Obviously, something happened, and I think I tend to agree with you that he was trying to. I think the only thing you can say too, when something like that happens, is you hope that, especially if you come out the way Kobe came out of it that you learn something from it, that you've made changes because of it, that you're different because of what has happened and transpired. Uh, so maybe that humbled him a little bit. Maybe that just said, I need to slow down a little bit socially and otherwise, and just if I truly am going to be who I said I'm going to be, because at 17 I came in the league and said I'm going to be the next Michael Jordan, that maybe you just focus on doing your job, nose to the grindstone, and slow down on some of the other things where you kind of maybe felt you were invincible on. And I, I'm just speaking from an outsider's perspective looking at it. But, you know, you the one thing that I will credit him for is a lot of these kids that you see that, again, do the whole fast track uh, from AAU basketball to the NBA, they don't get coached on public relations, communications, uh, you know, being able to handle an interview and then handle themselves as an adult. Uh, and I think the one thing that I'll give Kobe credit for is you talk about a guy that was, you know, uh, they call it the hardship. And I don't know that he ever had any hardship because of his dad playing in the league and all the things that they had and growing up in Italy first. But you won't find a more educated kid that never went to college in any sport, especially the NBA, with the multiple language that languages that he spoke, with how psychological and philosophical he was about his from the game to his training to his mental aspect 
you know, they were interviewing Steve Nash the other night, and he said after they the, the Suns had beat them in the playoffs, they were doing a Nike appearance in the offseason, and Steve Nash said, you know, he was just trying to be cordial, but obviously there was some disdain because they they were opponents. And Kobe said, hey, man, what goes through your head when you're thinking about who to pass to and, and, and how, how you involve your teammates? And he's like, normally if someone asked me that question, I'd just go, you know, I, I kind of do this or do that. I see who it is. I see the situation. He goes, but with Kobe, I was like, how should I answer this? Because is he trying to get into my head? Is he using some of this Jedi mind trick stuff to, like, figure out, like, next year? like to get into a, a whole concept of trying to break me down mentally and realize if I'm thinking like this, that he can defend me a certain way and have an advantage next year. And he goes, I only did that because it was Kobe, because I knew if there was anybody that was around the game that spent enough time on the mental aspects as well as the physical aspects, that he might be trying to get an advantage on me. And he goes, that's crazy, but that's the respect that everybody had for Kobe. And I think that that's, that's what maybe he did after all – that went wrong for him, both on and off the floor. Because you forget, his rookie year, they were playing the Jazz in the playoffs, and he wanted to be the guy to take the last shot, and he airballed it. And it was terrible, and he, he got heat for it. And, and, and there were plenty of people that looked at him with a side eye going, you know, what, what the hell was that? But to say that he started his career like that and he finished it by scoring 60 points in his final game and, and doing all the things that he was able to do um, – you hope that he learned from whatever mistakes he had made, but you knew that his focus every day going forward was trying to be better, better on the floor, off the floor, basketball, marketing, business, all those other things, and that he had done a pretty good job of kind of getting his life back on track. Well, it just has me thinking now, just because you know, we're, we're, we're just a month into 2020, mm-hmm. and I just it seems like I just keep hearing stories of uh, – just athletes in general, just just fucking up, and it just it, you feel like that that's a thing that just people just like whether it's like, whether it's the Astros, whether it's you know Odell Beckham smacking the ass of that cop, if it's just mm-hmm. Lamar Odom and his his usual shit. I mean, you just you just find that people uh, gravitate hearing stories of athletes just you know just doing the wrong one wrong thing after another. I think that it, there's there's always different layers, and as you peel back the layers, you realize that you know there's a certain segment of athletes, regardless of what level they're on, uh, that when you see some of these stories, that they feel like they're above the law. They feel like you know as as heroes athletically that they deserve special treatment, uh, and that's a shame. But that that's also true because. You know, you take major college programs, and a lot of the reasons why we don't hear more about, you know, the, the mess, the screw ups that you're talking about, with with a lot of different players, especially at colleges, is because a lot of the people that work in law enforcement and security and other areas uh, in which they could get publicized for negativity are also fans of that university and those programs, and they're more likely to sweep it under the rug than they are to, you know, publicize it as, you know, a screw-up that needs to, to, to send a message and, and teach a lesson. And, and, and I think that, you know, you go back through time, and you can talk about Charles Barkley throwing a guy through a window in Orlando. But the fact of the matter is is that people don't delve deep enough to realize that the guy in Orlando was, was throwing water glasses at Charles and making a lot of derogatory comments. And everybody has, a, you know, a boiling point. The, the, the Odell Beckham Jr. situation, we had, we had an, an actual police officer call into the show. 
and, and talk about the rights and the wrongs and, and and how that whole thing went down. But you could tell, and if you follow just on social media, this wasn't his only screw-up of the night. I mean, he tried to take take the baton and and take over the band from LSU and, and the, the bullhorn and was just shouting things that weren't exactly appropriate. Um, you know, he tried to start bodying up Carl Malone on the field, and if it's Carl Malone and he knows who he is and he's kind of – he went along with it. But, you know, you, he could have ticked someone off there too. Um it's a shame that we're having more and more of these stories. It's a shame that people have to see their heroes in this light. But I think it's it's basically the onus is on these athletes to realize that they aren't above the law. That you know there there is a certain standard to uphold. You know Charles had the commercial about I'm not a role model. Well, whether you like it or not, and whether you call it a role model or not, you know you're going to be seen by a lot of people in a very very high position on a pedestal, whether it be youth or fans, whatever the case may be. And whether you like it or not, it's basically like its own own extension of code of conduct. You won't say it's an extension of the law. It's a code of conduct where because you have what you have and you're in the public eye and you're being viewed by all these people both on and off you know, your field of play, um, you're, more is expected of you. And, and you need to treat that with – uh, respect in, in return, and you need to honor that instead of just basically saying, I am who I am, and it doesn't matter how much I make and, and what I do for a living. I'm going to do whatever I feel like I want to do. Well, then also realize that you're also going to pay the price and deal with the consequences if that's the way you, you choose to carry yourself. Uh, well, it also has me thinking about just the state of sports journalism in general because uh, just, you know, I, I never told you this, but I just, you know, I, back in high school and college, I started uh, writing about sports in my high school and college papers because I thought, you know, because I, because you know, a lot of great writers like, like Hunter S. Thompson, Roy Blunt Jr., George Plimpton, people mm-hmm. I, I admire, they, they, they started out writing about sports. And uh, so, yeah, so I just figured I just, just start doing that but hey, I, I moved on i moved on to doing like arts and culture and stuff things like that more stuff that more you know interests me and everything but just you find with sports because you know, like as you see like as we, we've been talking like the just it seems that we when people talk about you know, sports journalism is more uh you know dealing with things about we the, the stuff we just talked about and just I mean, you find that there is a uh, there isn't just a a strong sense of what sports journalism is anymore, or just this, or just it depends on like who you follow or who you read, and just. I think Craig did a lot of it, which needs more scrutiny. Is lost is I'm covering the game, I'm covering the angles, I'm doing it from an unbiased perspective. Uh, and I'm doing it for the masses and letting them draw their own conclusions, their own opinions. If you look at the Astros cheating scandal, and I'm not, it's obvious the evidence is there they cheated. But you take guys from national media markets that have relationships, and I'll give you an example. So the, the Astros trade for Roberto Osuna, and he's in the middle of a domestic abuse scandal in Canada. There's a lot of controversy around it. There's a writer for ESPN that decides to go all in on how bad of a move it was for the Houston Astros and just attack the, the culture and the decision 
and the way that they flippantly handled everything that they handled around it. Fast forward later in the year, Osuna doesn't get any charges, and the case is dropped, and everybody goes on with their day, and, and nothing is really said. Same writer, New York Yankees, pitcher for the Yankees, Herman, 81-game suspension, domestic abuse. That same writer never pens a single comment about the Yankees, never says a single thing about what they did and the negativity. So there's that. Then there's, you know, just you look across the board. They have biases because of their relationships. You build relationships so that, as you know, you build relationships so you can get the story, you can get the quote, you can get the one-on-one, you can get the, the, the content that you need when you need it. But in the process of doing that, you don't utilize it to say, you know what, I think I'm going to write a column that this guy is the best guy for the job for this team. And you're only writing it because he's one of your best friends. It's not because he really has the resume that says he should be the leading candidate. And you're only doing it because then if the, if the team starts taking notice and he actually gets the job, you're hoping that, hey, then I'm going to get the exclusives and I've got an in with that team and I'm going to do that and I'm going to do it right and I'm going to do it my way. You just see too many times now with sports journalism where guys are, are, are more worried about the relationship and they're more worried about their own personal biases and, and their own feelings towards a player or a team or a league than they are about doing what the, what the profession was basically created for, which is relaying information and giving people that weren't there and weren't able to be in touch with the athletes, the game, and what happened, uh, an avenue of being able to get all that data, get all that information, a- and feel better educated about what just happened in a sport and a team and a player that they love. And it's more about them now than it is about the actual you know content of what's going on on the field. It does start. It is starting to begin to uh, resemble, in a way, what passes for news journalism now, and especially with the uh, the news networks like you know, you know, Fox News and MSNBC, you know, having uh, having shows where people are having different slants. And it kind of feels that way when you watch, uh, when you especially when you watch guys like uh, you know, the, the the daily shows on ESPN. You see guys like Jason Whitlock going off and doing different things. I mean, you feel like it, it, you find this like that. There's a lot of that those parallels going on where it's just like almost like they're they're not uh, these sports commentators or, or journalists or whatever just like feel, seem like they're not that far off from you know, what Fox News is doing on a nightly basis. Yeah, and it depends on the outlet you're watching because, like you said, we know which way. Fox Fox News leans as opposed to some of the other outlets. Same thing when you're talking about if you want the you want the honest truth about what's going on with the cheating scandal, best not to go to MLB.com. Best not to go to the to the MLB channel because from the network itself to the guys that are covering it, they know where their bread's buttered. They're not going to say too much. They're not going to try and pound the league and and put down the product. You know, I've had enough experiences with enough athletes to realize that the one you know they're looking for an opportunity for a second career but in the, at the same time they're not going to jeopardize the continuous income that they have from their first career and i give you this example because of the fact that i've talked to several guys hall of fame and otherwise that had experience with the patriots cheating they knew they cheated they gave me the evidence 
They told me off-the-record stories of how they could basically prove that the Patriots cheated. So being a fly on the wall, I'm absorbing all this. I'm taking it all in. At a certain point, I asked them, so if you knew that they did, and they literally took the chance for you to win a championship, to get a ring, to put put that on your resume away from you, how are you not in masses coming out to say this? They reached into their wallet, they pulled out a business card, and the business card had the shield of the NFL on it. And they said, you see that right there? I said, yeah, it's the NFL logo. He goes, you tarnish the logo, you tarnish my income. I'm not going to tarnish my income. Sure, it hurts. Sure, it bothers me. Sure, it's something that I'm not proud of as a league. But as long as the league is still a billion-dollar industry that just keeps pumping cash out there, and I'm one of those recipients, I'm not taking money out of my pocket. I'm not taking food out of my mouth. I'm not cutting my potential for future possibilities and income away just to do what's right now. And I just, it was a hard, that was hard for me to, to, to deal with because of the fact that I always grew up with the integrity of the game of, you know, you do what's right. You do it the, the right thing when you have the opportunity. And it just seems like there's too many instances now where people are more worried about, you know, how the league is perceived, the image, the marketing, the dollars from kneeling in the NFL to the, NFL, the NBA having the referee gambling scandal to the Patriots, to the Astros and cheating. It, it just seems like there's more of a, of a philosophy that, hey, let's, let's try to minimize this as much as possible so there's not as much damage going forward as there is doing the right thing, cleaning up the sport, making sure that if they cheated, they get penalized, making sure that you, know, you get the purity in the, and you cleanse the game. I don't think that's happening anymore. Well, uh, we'll, of course, we'll get into the NFL a bit later, but uh, real quickly, I wanted to just get into just you know just just going on this back to sports journalism, man, because you know you see sites like uh, you know Grantland shutting down and like all the stuff that's happened with Deadspin. Mm-hmm. I mean, why does it seem like um, you know just finding you know, pr- you know proper sports journalism on a site seems to be so? Does it seem to be impossible these days? I don't know about impossible, but it's more difficult to, to to seek out and find what you're looking for because because of social media, because of the fact that you look at it and you remember like for a long period of time, your sources for top quality information were Sports Illustrated, your local newspapers, eventually Sports Center. But then you look at Deadspin and Barstool and some of these some of these websites and the only way they were going to carve out their niche was to be edgy, to be controversial, to stir it up. You're either going to be funny or you're going to be over the top trying to get someone to lose their cool, blow their top, or you're, you, were going to, you were going to promote and publicize you know, all the, the things you were talking about earlier with the athlete screw-ups and, and the things that, that really were completely separate from the games themselves and the players playing the games. But they carved out a niche because of it. But they also had to be careful because then, lo and behold, you get into a society today where everybody's hypersensitive and everybody has issues that they want to that they're worried about that they're focused on, and you can't push the envelope as far and you can't tightrope that that fine line. And when you try and do those things and try and act that way, the slightest of slip-ups can be a big, big deal, and we've seen it happen, and it, and the mightiest of, of mighty can, can crumble. As quickly as you've built it all up with that niche, with, with that, that demographic that really loves you, you can also crumble it down in, in a heartbeat by just making one misstep, as opposed to maybe they would be a little bit more forgiving in past, in past eras, but not now, and not, not with everything that's going on. And so... Um, 
it is more difficult to find, but you know, I mean, even though even an ESPN or a, or a Fox Sportsnet, you know that they're they're going to do their best to give you the news and, and try and give you all the details. But you also know, in the case of ESPN, if they're the home of the NFL on on Monday nights, if they're you know home of the Longhorn Network and certain conferences, they're going to be a little more handled with kids kid gloves topics like that than they would be in terms of being just raw journalistic approach to just a story that they have no connection to. And that's that's sad because it's taken away from the true spirit of why there was sports journalism, as I mentioned earlier. So, yeah, you got to search a little bit harder. You can still find it. Uh, once you find it, you know that you can go back to it. But you also have to keep in the back of your mind, like I'm not going to uh, certain NBA channels if I really want to know the true story behind whether it be – uh, you know, a, a disagreement, uh, a, a fight, um, something that's happened that's extremely controversial. You know, the the you know NBA.com and the NBA channel is not where you're going to go for honesty and, and and both sides of the story. You have to seek out guys that still have the integrity and the reputation of saying, "I don't care who I work for. I don't care who we have on our you know on our network of stations. I care about reporting the true story." Well, of course, this weekend is uh, Super Bowl weekend. You got the uh, 49ers and the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to have a party. No, I'm just going to watch it at the house. There's only one reason that I get overly excited. If my team is in the Super Bowl, it means a whole hell of a lot more. And unfortunately, the, the 49ers handily beat my Green Bay Packers. So I just watch because I have to talk about it and everything from the commercials to the game itself. And I know that that's what's expected from our listeners the next day. And, and obviously I enjoy sports at the highest level, and, and, and that is the Super Bowl. So I'll, I'll just watch it at home. And you, do you find that uh, – I mean, what do people – do they talk about mostly the com- commercials or the game itself? Because I find, like, as the years progress, you know, you, you start to hear more about you know the, uh, the, the commercials or the halftime show, and especially – and you know, with everything that's happened with Kaepernick, it seems there is this 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 very uh, there's always this uh, cloud of uh, uh, political talk over football, and it's just you. you I'll, okay, I'll just I'll just be blunt. You think people give still give a shit about what actually happens in the Super Bowl? Oh, absolutely. Oh, ab- absolutely. And and the pop the the percentage of the population that's still just diehard football fans in this country is never going to change that. The game's still going to mean something. But I think that what you get is, you know, the people that you're talking about that are concerned with all those other things are the people that aren't watching, you know, week week twelve matchups between the Giants and the Cowboys or whatever the games may be that week. But they know the Super Bowl is a big deal. They know that you know if you're single and you're going out to a bar, whether you're a female or a male. You know, if you're a female, you know, there are going to be a lot of guys out. But you're going to catch the eye of a lot more males if you're, you actually are interested in the game and you can speak a little bit on it. And from a, from a home perspective, you know, as people watch the games with their friends, their significant others, and otherwise, there aren't going to be people that are dire football fans. But they know it's going to be on the TV because we know it's the most watched sporting event in, 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 in our country. So how do you get more involved in it? Well, you get more involved in whether it's the prop bets, you know, the 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 coin flip, 
what color Gatorade if it gets dumped on them. People started getting engaging in that. Then they start, as you said, they worry about the halftime show. I want to be entertained. If I have to watch this with a whole bunch of people, whether they're involved in the football side of it or not, and we're at a party, then I want to be entertained. I want to know the halftime show. I want to know special guests. I want to be able to, you know, have them pick artists that I have a connection with or that I'm interested in instead of has-beens and washed-ups like they were criticized for for years. And the sports gambling aspect comes in as well. The commercials are huge. That's another way that people that maybe aren't experts or interested in the game itself find a connection because they'll tell you the co- the commercials that they liked and they didn't like. And you see Ad Week and you see all these different outlets that literally do the same thing that we're going to do with the game itself. And they're going to break down your top five commercials. You're going to break down you know, all the different analytics in terms of how much per commercial was paid and what, you know, certain companies did and what they saw in terms of returns. Um, so it's just different ways for you to be connected to the number one most, most watched television program of the year, whether you're a sports fan or not. That's just the way I see it. Well, is there anything you're looking forward to this oh, Sunday oh, or, well, this, the, or this weekend in general? What, you know, I, 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 you know, I never really observe how much Houston gets into Super Bowl weekend. Houston's a football town. It's a football state. Unfortunately, yeah. the state of football in Houston is so on its rear end that with the hatred of Bill O'Brien, with the way that the, the, the end of the season for the Texans left a bad taste in their mouth, with the fact that Cal McNair taking over for his dad didn't make any changes to what seems to be not only obvious to the to the Houston football fans in this world, but to the football world in in general now, coming out in droves to say, Deion Sanders came out yesterday and said, the, Bill O'Brien's decision to to fake the punt during the Chiefs game was the second dumbest decision I've ever seen in football, and so you know the headlines across ESPN the other day on several of their shows were, seriously Texans really. You promoted Bill O'Brien to general manager, gave him a new title and more money and more responsibility for what? So it's not just the dirty little secret of Houston anymore. It's left an extremely bad taste in the mouths of every Houston football fan. So it's a different way of of, of watching the game itself. But I think when you enjoy the game, you, you know the game and the way the state of Texas and the city of Houston loves the game of football, they want to see the best of the best. So you're getting probably the best offense in football in the Chiefs. You're getting probably the best defense in football in the 49ers. And then it becomes, so of, uh, of that, that being said, can the Niners' offense do enough to complement their defense? Can the Chiefs' defense stop the Niners enough so that their offense can continue to just do what they do? And then it's a battle of wills. It's, it's the testament of the coordinators, the players on the field, and those little you know intangibles that decide the game that you hope it's just a good game between the two best teams and may the best team win, but you hope it's exciting. And I think that's what all football fans want that aren't that don't have a team in the actual mix to win the, ch- the championship is you want to see exciting football. You know, as a sports fan, if you're living in Cleveland and you watch the Chiefs play the Texans and the Texans started out up 24-0, you want nothing more than to see exactly what happened. You wanted to see this furious comeback by the Chiefs. You wanted to see the Texans stumble all over themselves to give, an, give them an opportunity because at the end of the day, if you're not a fan of either team, you just want to see something that is riveting television, that's exciting, that's decided you know, late in the game so that you have 
you know, enjoyment in your life for the amount of time that you're dedicating to watching it. And I think that's what everybody hopes for in the Super Bowl. You don't want like a three to a three to nothing victory where it's just a you know a grounded out, pounded out bloodbath. You want to see points scored, exciting plays, and the and the two best teams on the field. So I think that's what everybody's hoping for. That's not either in San Francisco uh, or in Kansas City. Well, this is the part of the show where I just basically ask you, um, is there anything pissing you off? You know, I don't think I don't think anything's pissing me off right now. I mean, obviously, from a day-to-day basis, there's plenty of stuff that pissed me off. Um, you know, one of the things that pisses me off in terms of this baseball scandal is, is exactly what we're talking about in terms of a league being so protective of their reputation that they're not doing. I've talked to so many friends of mine that are within the game that said, this isn't the Astros. This isn't the Red Sox. And the mightiest of mighty teams in the biggest of biggest cities that are puffing their chest out right now, pointing fingers at everybody else and going, this is BS. The story's not written yet. It's not over. And I just wish baseball would would basically crap or get off the pot. And if you're going to take care of this and you're going to nip it in the bud and you want to absolutely get to the bottom of it, then call every team out, get it all out on the table, get it all out so that people know this has happened, and then move forward cleansing the league from top to bottom. Don't sit there and just let one or two teams be your scapegoat for now. Say you're gathering information, but kind of all you're really doing is judging the waves and seeing if the water's calm, then you make the decision, do we continue to push this? Or can we sweep it under the rug? That pisses me off. I I want the true story. I want the people that did it to pay for it. If the Astros players did it, then call the players out by name. Don't protect the players because they're still playing the game. Protect the integrity of the game. And do it across the board. Because we all know that everybody's been cheating and stealing signs forever in the day in baseball. But they did it with their their eyes, with watching signs. They didn't do it with technology. And baseball did this to themselves. They basically kicked themselves in the nuts because they're the ones that allowed Apple watches in, on the benches. They allowed iPads in the dugouts. They allowed a video department to have you know the, the technology to use and review in scouting and and, and game planning, you know, all the all the, the the footage and being able to break it down. So the same way you feel like you're advancing the sport by advancing scouting, advancing technology. You're also making sure that teams have the if they have access to that stuff and it's not now it's not forbidden in the dugout it's actually encouraged. Well, we're not only going to use it for scouting, but we're going to use it for every chance we get to have an advantage. That's what a lot of people think. If you're not cheating, you're not trying, and if you're not trying, then you're not trying to win. And I think that that's what pisses me off the most is baseball did this to themselves, but now they're trying to protect the integrity of the game. Well, they ruined the integrity of the game when they were just trying to to push the game forward with technology and not thinking about all the different ways that it could actually come back and bite them. I think that pisses me off. Uh, could you ask, could you answer a question for me? Mm-hmm. Uh, just, uh, your voice, just like I found, I found it, you know, trying, still trying to get the hang of, uh, you know, speaking on, on the mic, even though I've done stuff like this for years. Uh, sometimes I feel I have to uh, do it while while drinking, but uh, just just how just how you go about you know just uh, getting because that's what things what I find with a lot of sports radio shows. It's like I I, I occasionally find it interesting to listen to because it's lot, most of the time, and I don't know if this is if that is if it's just 
accidentally like that. It just seems like it just is just basically just middle-aged white guys going off about sports. Oh, okay. and it's just the general gist. I don't know if it's like you have to you have to do be in that kind of, kind of demographic and just have a lot of lot of things to say about sports because obviously I don't know if you've observed that I I don't have a lot of opinions on the subject, but I just. I mean, you find that it's just like this with sports radio, like there's that that you know stereotype that uh, characteristic that general character characteristics that has like it's middle aged white guys with booming voices, just who who just. Are- I mean, I would disagree. I think that everybody picks their path. I yeah. think that you're seeing more athletes now that are actually transitioning into radio as well as television. I, I think that that's that's something that. That comes about. I've never been a screamer. I'm not a shock radio guy. Uh, I work with Barry Laminac. He's a comedian first and foremost, so he adds a lot of of levity and laughter, and 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 we get into a lot of pop culture, as you mentioned, and other things, and that's fun. Um, but I'm never going to be a guy that's going to try and convince you to take my side on things or hear me out because I'm screaming at you. Um, I'm not one of those guys. You know, the story that always goes, especially in Houston, where there's a lot of guys that went to the Syracuse School of Broadcasting. It's the it's the the holy grail of broadcasters, so to speak, because so many broadcasters on a national level went there and went through the program from Marv Albert and Bob Costas and Mike Tirico, uh, our own Charlie Palillo. There were a lot of guys in town at different stations that went to Syracuse, and they all kind of boastfully told, said they went to Syracuse, and they said, well, where'd you go to school? I said, I went to Tennis Racket University. And they're, they're befuddled by that, and they look at that. What does that mean? Well, you know what that means? That means when my dad was watching games with his buddies drinking a 12-pack and didn't want to be bothered, the way that they kept me entertained was they turned a tennis racket upside down and they said, here, go in the corner and watch the game and call it, like announce it. And, and, and so for me, I started doing it. But what, you know what I did? I listened. And I was blessed enough growing up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, that I was able to listen to some of the best to ever do it. I had Hall of Fame broadcasters in every sport. I listened to their idiosyncrasies of how they handled a blowout in baseball or an exciting play in basketball or how you were able to, to get all the details in football with all the things going on and all the numbers and, and, and what maybe weather was involved. And so that's how I got started. And, and I didn't have that formal training. I don't have a broadcast degree. I have a sports management degree. So I went to school so because I was going to work. But you know what? I never lost my love of sports. And in watching sports, I listened to sports. And when my dad was old school, so when we were in the car, we weren't listening to music. We were listening to two sports radio, whether the games themselves or guys talking about it. And that's how I learned about it. So the thing to me is, you know, it's crazy. I'll go to the grocery store and someone will recognize my voice. I got a hat on backwards. I got sweats on. I don't want to be recognized. And I don't think that the way they think. And I don't think my voice, I hate my own voice. I don't even think about it as being anything special. I just know that being around when I got into the professional sports um, arena and I started working, I started. I, I never stopped learning and taking notes and, and watching and following the guys that did it, that worked for me. Either I inherited them, I took over as the director of broadcasting for the Rockets, and I inherited Gene Peterson and Jim Foley, who had been in the league combined 60-plus years doing, doing games. So I learned from them. Then the guys that I worked with and I hired and I, and I came across from different teams, I started picking things up. I realized how to project. At the same time, I realized what not to do because I don't want to be you know, stereotypically categorized like you, you did there because I had, several, you know, I had tons of people coming to me all throughout the year going, I, I want to work for you. I want a job. How do I get a job with the Rockets? How do I work on radio or television or, or do, do, that, do this or do that? But they felt like because they were leaving me a message that they had to be on. 
when I'm with my buddies or when I'm with my family, the last thing I want to be is on. I just want to be genuinely, truly who I am. And I want to relax and I don't want to do this. So the, the joke was I'd have guys that would wait till that beep went off on my voicemail at work. And, and suddenly it was, they were on. And people in the office would hear it if I was listening to it on speakerphone. Play that again. Why does that guy have to be that way? Well, because he can't turn that button off. And there are people truly out there that are going to go to the grocery store and say, or go to the, the drive through window and go, I'd like the double with extra cheese, a large fries, and yes, I'd like a Coca-Cola. That's too much. You know, if I go, I'm just, I'm, I'm ordering, I, I, you know, can I get a number one with fries and, and, and a Sprite? I'm not that guy. And everything that I've gotten, it's it's come organically. I never worked on my voice. I never. There's guys in, in professional sports broadcasting right now, nationally and locally, that are so concerned about their voice. They bring their own voice enhancers. They bring the electronics to give them more bass, to have them sound a certain way. That's not how I was brought up. That's not how I was raised. And that's I don't talk this way because I wanted to be a broadcaster. I just it's just part of the vernacular that I learned in, in how to speak. But I know that there are plenty of people that that's like their calling card and they work hard at it. But, I mean, honestly, I used to get the phone to ring and I'd get someone that says, you know, the minute that they got my voicemail, it was, good afternoon, Joel. I would like to talk to you about a possible opening you may have in your department. I am the guy for you because I can do everything you need and I can talk as fast or as slow as you want and I can give you all the details. Please call me back. 713. And they go the and. To me, that was the first turnoff of, I don't want that, I don't need that, because now you're trying to be someone that you're not, and you're probably going to deliver a message that's something that we don't want for our organization. So that's where I struggle. I understand everybody goes to school and gets a degree in a a field that they want to excel in and be a part of, but it doesn't mean that it has to take away from you being who you are and you – doing what you have always loved. In, in my case, I've always loved sports. I've always told people. You know, I worked in the front office of teams for over 30 years. I could have sold insurance. I could have done like lots of my friends and been either sales guys or marketing guys or all these other things. But boy, I wouldn't have been as happy. I love doing what I'm doing. And now to transition from working in a front office where you were overworked and underpaid and had so many different titles and jobs, just as long as they didn't have to pay you and you were away from your, your, your family for you know, ungodly amounts of time, I show up and I do a radio show for three hours a day. I mean, I'm allowed to tell my wife when she wants to watch some reality TV show, hey, I'll be in the other room watching the game because I got to work because I'm going to have to talk about it tomorrow. And it's awesome. And the time is great. It allows me so much more time to spend with my family. And I, th- and I hope that what we deliver to the listeners is a forum. And the one thing I always preach is it's just sports. There's so many greater things going on in this world. There's people out there that are searching for a meal, searching for a job, trying to handle what's going on with the political climate and realize how it affects them. Discrimination, uh, obvious mistreatment. So sports is supposed to be an escape for a couple hours. Go ahead and watch the game. Watch your favorite team. Watch your favorite player and have an avenue to be able to talk about it by, by, by interacting with our show. We do tweets. We do texts. And we do calls. So however you want to reach out to us, we want you to be a part of it because it's a discussion. Some people think we argue. If we're arguing, then you're going to hear me in a tone of voice that's completely not appropriate for my house or broadcasting. So if we're just discussing it, 
Don't take it too seriously. Don't take it too literally and treat it just like you and I are doing right now as a discussion. And we're good. So basically you're telling me, um, the reason you've gotten to the place you want it to be in, in your love of sports and your love of commenting on sports is that old standard. I find with a lot of sports fans, uh, their dad was around. It's a, it's a big part of it. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I love sports because that's how I was raised. Mm-hmm. My dad played four sports in high school from the time he he he, he was on the varsity in, four, in three sports from the time he was a freshman. You know, so when I was when I came out of the womb, I was a mistake. I had two sisters. My parents didn't expect to have any more kids. They had too much fun one night, and thank God abortion wasn't prevalent. But they wanted they wanted one more crack at it, and they got a boy. And my dad couldn't. Who was over the moon? Because all my dad wanted to do was make sure that he had someone that he could pass that torch to and enjoy sports with, and I was lucky enough to be that kid. Okay, that was that was that was what was expecting that, but uh, just yeah, just it's, raw reality. Yeah, it is it is raw reality. It's kind of uh, trying to <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out how to pin this whole thing now. Because uh, uh, kind of ran out of questions, but uh, where where you know where can people find you like on the medias and of course where can they find the show and everything? Yeah, it's you know in Houston you can you can go to ESPN975.com. You can download the app and then you can listen to us anywhere and everywhere in the country. Um, if you're in Houston, one to four p.m. daily, uh, ninety-seven point five FM. I'm on at Pacman Joel with a K on Twitter. Um, that's basically I, I don't I'm on Instagram. Uh same way you can find me, um at Pac-Man Joel. Um Facebook I just leave to my close friends and family. And uh haven't inva- haven't done the advanced TikTok or anything else, but uh that's essentially how you can get us and how you can get me. All right. Uh thank you, uh Joel, for uh you know, spending this brief time with me. Absolutely. And uh Till then, this is Craig Lindsay saying, uh, Sarah Huckabee, you, me, and a box of fiddle faddle. It's been a long time since I had fiddle faddle, so maybe we can get it together and everything like that.